Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord said to Moses, make a poisonous serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. One question that has plagued Christianity that is asked over and over again and has been throughout the time of Christianity, is this. Do things, images, have a value and a worth over and above what they are? That is to say, does something like a crucifix have more meaning than just being a metal alloy that is poured in a particular fashion and affixed to pieces of wood? Another question that's related to this age-old dilemma is something like this. Is it okay to use such an item in prayer and devotion, in worship? Or if we use items, images, does that then become an idol? Now these questions first raised their head in the beginning centuries of Christendom. There was a great and huge global controversy over icons and other images of holy things. Some said there were to be absolutely no images at all whatsoever in church and no images in people's prayer lives and lives of devotion. Those things, it was said, were an abomination to God. Others, however, said that the images pointed to something larger, said they opened up to holiness. They carried with them something of the holiness of the person or the thing they represented. Now that was solved with an ecumenical council in the first millennium of Christianity, but it occurred again in the Protestant Reformation, specifically in England. Depending on who was king or queen, and depending on the political party that had the most power, images were put in churches or they were taken out of churches and destroyed. Now, if you read some of the biographies and diaries and history of the Protestant Reformation, you can really see what a mess it all was. One day, officials, the ruling party, would enter the parishes, enter the churches. They would smash the stained glass windows. They would take out all the crosses and statues and pictures. They would remove all the candles and leave the church absolutely bare devoid of any image whatsoever. And then sometimes within the matter of months, a new king or queen would be enthroned. A new political party would take over. Stained glass would then be commissioned and images, statues, candles, and the like would be put back in their place. It got so bad and occurred so often that many of the church wardens, our junior and senior warden, would take all of the statues and the crosses and images and paintings They would take them all, hide them, either down wells or they would bury them in the countryside to keep them safe from the madness at hand. Now, to put this into perspective, most of us will understand, we can look to our own flag-bursting controversies to get a feel for what was going on. 
Some people ask, why all the controversy over burning the American flag? After all, it's nothing more than fabric, cotton, or nylon dyed in a certain fashion or sewn in a certain pattern. But while it is only nylon and cotton and dye sewn in a certain fashion, the flag points to something larger. It is a symbol of our freedom. It is a symbol of our liberty. It is the symbol of the collective soul of these United States. And as such, we treat it with respect. Or at least that is what our government and our people say overwhelmingly. So the flag, albeit nylon and dye, formed in such a fashion, it still carries with it the reality of America. And the flag, in some real and tangible way, carries with it liberty and freedom. And so we pay it the respect it deserves. And it's the same with religious images, with statues and pictures and the like. They carry with them the truth of God. They represent the truth of God. They open the seer up to a greater reality, to a holy reality. One of my more dear stories of the saints of the early church deals with a person named St. Stephen the New, not St. Stephen the Deacon. But during the first controversy over icons in the church, St. Stephen was asked by the Roman officials to step on an image of Jesus Christ to prove that it meant nothing, that it was nothing more than wood and paint. And Stephen couldn't do it. So instead of stepping on an icon of Jesus, St. Stephen the New took a Roman coin from his pocket, threw it on the ground, and stepped on the image of the emperor. Now, the Roman government didn't take that too kindly, and Stephen was beheaded the very same day. Because although the image might not have been nothing more than metal and wood, the coin with the emperor's image on it represented something more, obviously. Images carry with them the thing they are created to represent. Images open up a larger world to he or she who sees them. Today's Old Testament passage, we get a glimpse into the life of the Israelites as they are wandering in the wilderness, almost through with their time there in exile, traveling towards the promised land. And as is par for the course, as the same thing that's been happening for 40 years almost, they complain to God that food is horrid, loathsome, and worthless, they say. They complain. They cry out that they would have been better off staying enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. It's that bad. They cry out to God, complain against God, and God sends them poisonous, fiery serpents to punish them. To show them, really, that things aren't as bad as they think they are. Moses begs God on their behalf, and God instructs Moses to do something odd, to make a bronze serpent that when looked at, cures the effects of the poison. So Moses casts the serpent. The people who are complaining look at it. They repent and all is well. The serpent itself is carried with them. It is put inside the temples and remembered until the destruction of the temple. It has a special place within the temple. The faithful even come when they come to the temple They come and offer incense before it during worship. Now, mind you, this this 
offering incense to a bronze serpent is from the same people who have as one of their Ten Commandments, thou shalt not make for thyself any idol. So it's odd, and many people ask, well, is this bronze serpent not an idol? Why does this take the place of prominence among the people of Israel? It's because when they look at the image of the bronze serpent, they actually look on the truth and mercy of God himself. A God that spared them, a God that led them through the wilderness to the land of promise. A God that redeemed them, that saved them. That is to say, the bronze serpent points to God himself. The bronze serpent opens up a reality that is holy and eternal. The bronze serpent contains and carries with it the mercy of God. It's not an idol, but a signpost, a symbol pointing to God. Now we must ask, what things do you have in your own life that is a signpost, a symbol pointing you to God? Is it a cross you wear? A cross someone gave you? Is it a crucifix or cross in your home? Perhaps you have an icon or another sacred image that points you to the holy, that opens up for you a larger reality. These things are part of our tradition. They are things that aid us in our devotion. We bow as the cross as it goes by. We reverence the altar. We wear crosses and crucifixes. We have images. They're symbols and signposts showing to us the love and mercy and peace and joy of God. They're teaching tools, gentle and firm reminders of many, many things. But above all, they point us to God in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most important images that we often overlook is us ourselves. Human beings, the book of Genesis tells us, were made in the image and likeness of God. And that we must never forget. If paintings and statues and bronze serpents can point us to God, can show us the love and mercy of God, then we as human beings can most certainly do the same. We have the ability, it is within us, that we can open up a world to people who need help seeing God and seeing his love and his peace and his mercy. Now that's something worth working on the remainder of Lent. The image, while it is within us, is often distorted and blurred. It takes vigilant prayer. It takes a life of virtue and dedication to have this image of God shine forth within us. But I want you to imagine for a moment what you could accomplish with dedication to this task. In a world that is dark and broken, in a world that is filled with isolation and pain, in a world that is suffering, in a world that has in many places forgotten what peace and mercy look like, what joy and happiness look like, we could, by our very lives, open up a heavenly reality. We could point others to the direction of God. We could show others mercy and peace and love. And what a wonderful gift to the world that would be, to be an image, a bearer of God's peace and love and mercy. So don't fear 
to make the most of sacred images. Use them to help remind you who you are. Use them to connect you to eternal realities, to heavenly realities. Use them to help you in your quest for holiness. Use them to connect you to God through Christ. But don't neglect your prayer life. Remember your prayer life. Work on having a life of virtue and goodness and mercy and peace. Work on living a life that will allow the image of God to shine forth through you to a dark and broken world. Use what God has given you. Use who you are. Use how God has created you to show others to Jesus Christ. Do not bury the image of God. Become the image of God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.